Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the 18th chapter of St. Luke with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. In 1997, Indian spiritualist Sri Shinmoy founded the Self-Transcendence 3100-mile ultra-marathon. Now, if the name of that race didn't clue you in, this event, held annually in New York City, is the world's longest certified foot race. Participants in the marathon have just 52 short days to close the distance in which they run an average of approximately 60 miles a day. Now, this all happens over the course of 18 hours per day, and along that long trek, the runners can expect to be treated to views of sweeping plains, purple mountains, and sparkling waters. Just kidding. This race actually is localized to a single square block in downtown Queens. The runners head out each day down 84th Street, past a playground, along the busy Grand Central Parkway, around Thomas Edison High School, down 168th Street, and finally back onto 84th. They will do this 5,649 times. For a little bit of context for you all, this distance is the equivalent of running the width of the entire United States and then turning around and running 11 regular marathons just to keep yourself frosty. The annual race has the distinction of having only 52 people in its history ever to complete it. This race, this year's race rather, began on September 4th and won't conclude until October 25th, during which the annual competitors will have endured temperatures ranging from a high of 90 degrees all the way down to a low in the low 40s. They've gone day after day in the blistering sun, followed by the occasional torrential rainstorm, for it is, after all, New York. And all of this, mind you, on about five to six hours of sleep per night. Yolanda Holder, who is a United States runner and has completed over 540 marathons throughout her life, said this of the event. She said, I've never cried during a race before, but as I crossed the finish line of the self-transcendence, boy, did I cry. Now at this point, you might be asking yourselves, why in the world Would anybody in their right mind put themselves through this? The answer lies in the title of the race, actually. Sri Shinmoy began this race to challenge runners, and I quote, to transcend their own previous capacity, to gain spiritual insights, and to overcome the world's preconceived notions of what is humanly possible. Friends, I don't know about you, but personally, I begin to ponder my own mortality after limping my way through a 5K. But to each their own. 
In fact, I think Shinmoy might have been onto something here. For you see, the Christian, through ex- extreme tests of endurance and patience, we are taught important lessons, not just about what we ourselves can accomplish, but more importantly, about what our God can accomplish. While relatively few of us are marathon runners, each of us, as we just heard in our children's message, are running a race. Each of us is tested with our own feats of endurance, but these are not merely physical feats that we're talking about. In our Old Testament lesson, we saw how Jacob wrestled with God, stubbornly refusing to let go of him until he should give him his blessing. Our epistle lesson, likewise, recounts how St. Paul encouraged the young pastor Timothy, urging him to endure in preaching the word of God, even in the face of trial and persecution. In order to do this, he gave him those words of encouragement, recounting for him his own race to run the gospel of Jesus Christ all across the Roman world. To me... These feats, which were highlighted by the Apostle Paul, sound much more exhausting than any ordinary foot race. For these feats all require us to strive with God in the same manner that Jacob did in our Old Testament lesson. The Holy Scriptures constantly call on us to cling to our God through all trial and temptation, holding fast to His saving name even as we are assaulted on all sides by the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. Make no mistake, dear friends in Christ, this task that we are baptized into, it's not just daunting. This task would be impossible in and of ourselves. It's for this reason that Jesus tells the parable that we read in Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow. When we're introduced to the widow in question, we find her ankle deep in some legal fall-to-roll with an undisclosed adversary. In order to bring the resolution to an end, she appeals to a local magistrate to settle the matter. But he, in his hardness of heart, we find, is not exactly forthcoming with his adjudication. Jesus tells us that this is due to the fact that this judge, in particular, neither feared God, nor respected man. Take note that it is God who put this judge in his seat of civil authority. But rather than use that authority to glorify the God who put him in his station, this particular judge uses his office not to administer justice, but in a rather lazy and self-serving fashion. Knowing this, however, the widow, we see, remains undeterred. She is persistent in her pursuit of justice, badgering the judge night and day until, at last, he finally becomes exhausted with her tenacity. He gives her the justice that she demands. The takeaway, though maybe not immediately apparent, Jesus says is that we ought to not grow faint in our pleas and petitions to our God. For if this woman could glean justice from this unrighteous judge, then how much more should we expect from our God who is perfectly righteous? 
But herein lies the difficulty with this parable, at least for us. For Jesus doesn't just promise justice from God like we might expect, but he promises speedy justice. Hear his words again. He says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Cut now to 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words, and it seems today that people in the church the world over continue to cry out. Yes, they cry out for justice, for deliverance from their adversaries. They cry out for strength, for healing, and for their daily bread. Yet for many who cry out, it does not seem as though God is exactly forthcoming with an answer to their prayers. Here it's important for us as Christians to recognize what Jesus was saying as he wrapped up this parable. First, that that justice which he promised was in fact delivered speedily. And I say was because it was on Calvary's cross that Jesus satisfied the righteous wrath of God and delivered us from our accuser and adversary, even death itself. In this act of divine justice, God the Father visited the sentence which we ourselves had earned for our transgressions, not on us, but wholly on his only begotten Son. In so doing, our God gave us the right to be called children of God and heirs to his kingdom, condemned no longer to suffer in this body of sin, but to rise to newness of life on the last day. This, dear brothers and sisters, is the deliverance which the church now prays for, that that same Christ who gave himself up on the cross for our sins would now hasten the day of his coming again to bring us finally and totally out of death's dark veil and into the life of the world to come. This we are confident in, that he who has made this promise will keep it as he has kept all of his others. But still, 2,000 years, possibly many more, that in man's reckoning is a tremendous weight. Though we have God's word of promise, though we have faith that Christ will do what he said he will do, no doubt this time of waiting can feel discouraging to us. It can seem long. It can knock the wind out of our sails as time and time again we fail to muster the enthusiasm to live out our own God-given vocations. We constantly see this unrighteousness which is at play all around us in this fallen and sinful world. And dear friends, it's in the midst of that unrighteousness, that time of waiting and groaning and longing that we now find ourselves, our own congregation, the body of believers crying out, night and day, right here at Faith Lutheran Church. Here at Faith, during this month of stewardship, you all have been asked to consider the various gifts that your God has given you 
and how you might employ those gifts in service to him and in service to your neighbor. By now, most of you have probably been given your time and talents packets. You've taken them home and they may be sitting at home on your desk or on the kitchen table, so far maybe unopened. But as you open those packets, maybe some of you have noticed one very important detail. That one of the very first lines in those packets, whether in person or online, are the call to prayer. That call to prayer is listed right beneath the section following God's gifts of time together in his word and meeting together here in his sanctuary to praise him. What does the, the relative location of prayer on this list communicate to you? That before anything else, the first and most important act of service that you can render in this place is your prayer. More than your time, more than your talent, more than any treasure that you possess in this body and life, the greatest and best help that you can be in this congregation is to bring your prayers to the God who has promised to hear you on behalf of the saints who are gathered here. We call on you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Pray for PPC and the preschool and the cantor, for the office staff, for the business manager, the Sunday school, and for all the ministry teams who offer service in this place. That their efforts to foster the faith of the people in this congregation would bear fruit and that God's name would be glorified ever and always among us. But friends, as you ponder this particular call to service this morning, I urge you, don't only pray, but also consider how you yourself might be an answer to someone's prayer. For it is in you and through you that your Father in heaven has elected to make known his grace and mercy to all the nations. For you locally, this could take on a variety of forms. We urge you, be the ride to church. Be the shoulder to cry on. Be the helping hand. Be the word of comfort. Be the welcoming face, the singing voice. Be the steward which your Lord and God has made you when he brought you up out of the baptismal waters and into his eternal family. In short, be like the widow. Be persistent. When it comes to service in God's house, we do not always see an immediate return. We may not even know the impact that our actions are having. In fact, it may take an entire lifetime of ministry for just one soul to repent and receive Christ's forgiveness. Though this work of stewardship seems daunting or even impossible to us, still your God urges you through his word of promise. Hear him again as he promised to the prophet Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Dear friends, are any among you this day tired, afraid, or discouraged? Do you feel as though the call that the Lord has placed before you is more than you can possibly bear? Then know this, that your God is strong to save, and he has promised to be your helper. As you have been given the gift of faith, as you have received again and again the gift of mercy, so also today does your Lord God come to you with his gift of strength imparting endurance to you that you may stand boldly in the face of all discouragement and doubt. Fear not, you saints of the Lord, for he has bent his ear to you. He knows the prayers of your heart. He has given you this fellowship to encourage you. He has given his holy sacraments to sustain you. He has endowed you with his divine words of promise to build you up and to lead you in works of stewardship and service for his sake and, yes, for your neighbors. Though this race may feel long, even endless at times, know that it is by his gift of endurance that he produces in you a mighty faith, a faith fit to stand against the old evil foe, a faith swift to make his justice known among the nations. It is he, dear brothers and sisters, not you, who makes the impossible possible. It is he who transcends all the princes and powers of this world, and it is he who will deliver you safely across the finish line. Therefore, as you lift your voices up in prayer this season of stewardship and in all seasons, I urge you to pray as the apostle has encouraged you, to pray without ceasing, to pray with endurance, that you would persist in the ways of his righteousness, that you would be confident that he has secured already the outcome of your faith, that you would cling to him for all things needful, that you would strive to follow where he leads. Dear friends, lift up your voices time and time again, as often as you have need, cry out, Lord, give us endurance. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, Guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.